Hi everybody and welcome to Tables Podcast. The Table is a church located in Davenport, Iowa, where people are moving from greed toward generosity, from violence toward peacemaking, from isolation toward neighborliness, and from fear toward faith. Today's podcast is all about the Pentecost. Pastor Rob talks and discuss Acts chapter 2. Let's take a listen. Is Pentecost Sunday and this is a, a special day known in the uh, in the world of the Christian church as as kind of the church's birthday and we're going to share a story uh, from the Acts of the Apostles uh, which commemorates the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and people think of this as the moment when God created out of this sort of remnant band of uh, Jesus followers after Jesus died and and uh, and was raised and then ascended into heaven there's this moment where this remnant community sort of becomes the Christian church um, and that's the story that we're going to read today it comes from the Acts of the Apostles chapter 2 so let's open our ears open our hearts and give a good listen when the day of Pentecost had come they were all together in one place and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them spe speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All who were, um, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, so one day in college, my professor started class with a question. He said, what do you call it when a person speaks two languages? And so people quickly answered, uh, bilingual. And then he said, okay, well, what do, you, what do you call it when somebody speaks three languages? And people are like, uh, trilingual? And he said, okay, well, what is the word then when a person speaks just one language? And people are like, um, and he said, American. <laughs> yeah, so my professor is from Brazil, and he had lived in many countries all over the world. Um, he truly was a man of, of the world. He, now, he loved the United States. He loved his American students, but he challenged us in ways 
that other professors did not challenge us, okay? And this particular class I was in was a sociology course, and it was full of really engaged and passionate students, idealistic students. Um, we all wanted to think of ourselves as, you know, as socially conscious, concerned about justice and equality and making progress in the world and all those kinds of things, right? And, but that day in class, we were kind of forced to admit that none of us actually spoke a language other than American English. We had all taken classes in high school, uh, Spanish or whatever, but um, by the time we were halfway through college, we had forgotten almost everything that we had, had learned. And our professor, you know, he was... Uh, you know, he wasn't trying to be mean. <laughs> he wasn't trying to make us feel bad about ourselves per se, but he was a true world traveler. And he pointed out, you know, that Americans have this way of interacting with the world, right? Expecting everyone else to speak our language. You know, um, it could be American tourists who just assume that if you go somewhere uh, in some other country, there will be people there to speak to you in English. But it's not just tourists. I mean, academics and the, the repre government representatives of America, of the United States, you know, we expect that wherever we go, that there will be people there to speak to us in English. But when other people come to this country, they do not expect that anyone in the United States is going to speak to them in their language. And that, that, that's an interesting imbalance, isn't it? So my professor helped us to see that it is, it is possible to be a very idealistic person who cares deeply about making the world a better place and, and wanting to seek justice and equality and to spend one's life doing good. It's possible to have all that be true and still not fully realize how self-centered we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to not recognize the ways that we kind of expect that the world around us is going to operate according to on our terms right and function the way that we function and speak the language that we speak and relate in the way that we relate now obviously this is not just a matter of uh the spoken word the principle applies in all sorts of other uh parts of life right the the fact is that we expect others to communicate to prioritize even to share like the rhythms of social life that we prefer Okay. We want everyone to speak our language in all these different senses of, of that. So we, we may have had uh, breakdowns in relationships and, and we may have passed on certain opportunities because we didn't want to deal with people who don't speak our language, right? Um, they don't think about the ways we think about them. They don't carry on uh, the way that we like to carry on. Uh, an example from my life, uh, when my wife and I got married, uh, we are celebrating our anniversary uh, this week. When we first got married, we moved to a small town in Louisiana, and no one, neither of us had ever been there before. We hadn't even been to the state of Louisiana before. Uh, and so we moved there. We were newlyweds, and we actually got the same job. We were both second grade teachers, and we were both second grade teachers at the same school. And of course, there were two second grade classes at this school. So it's a very unique situation, I think, um, to have the same exact job and the same workplace as the people that, that, as the person that you are married to. Would I recommend it? 
Um, well, <laughs> the good part is that you can totally relate to what your spouse is dealing with day after day. And that is really great because, you know, you really understand um, the life that you're, the, the stuff, the challenges and the frustrations that your loved one is dealing with. Um, but the challenges that your work can consume your entire life and that that was happening to us um, some weeks more than others um, but th there was this dynamic that I realized about our relationship as we were working the same job in a place that we we didn't know anybody except for our co-workers and our students and each other um, and there was a dynamic about us that I didn't ever really give much thought to um, until we had gotten married um, and so th here's the dynamic so when my wife has a stressful day at work she wants to come home and talk about it um, she wants to talk through everything that happened you know basically work it all out um, talking talking it out and and that helps her to just deal with it and to let it go it's kind of like a pressure release valve right to just like stuff is building up and if you talk about it it just sort of releases that anxiety and that stress and that pressure right and I had actually never really thought about my own preferences in this respect mostly because I was just entering adulthood and actually I hadn't it had not experienced this level of stress in a, in a professional context ever before. Uh, but I discovered as a newlywed that my preference personally, not always, but it is often the opposite from my spouse. So if I have a bad day at work, I would actually prefer in many, many instances not to talk about it. I would actually prefer to turn the page as quickly as possible and sort of with this attitude that, you know, what's done is done and I'd like to move on. If I were to talk through all of the stuff that really stressed me out all day um, and, and try to work it out that way, that might actually stress me out more because what I'm doing is reliving all of the stuff that day that went wrong and all the things that made me crazy. Um, so here we are. My wife and I starting out in our married life and realizing in, in this in this very important sort of aspect of our relationship and of our life that we spoke different languages. Okay, we had different preferences and we really sort of entered into daily conversation with different expectations and different assumptions. And I'm not proud to say this, but I have to confess that as a newlywed, more than once I thought to myself, you know, why can't she just deal with her stuff <laughs> the way that I deal with my stuff? And the answer to that could not be simpler. It's that she is her own person, right? And she thinks about things the way she thinks about them. But I had gotten into that headspace of expecting other people to think and to act like me, right? that I speak this language and your job is to speak my language. This is the human condition, by the way, right? I am guilty of this, but I'm not unique, right? Uh, we want other people to meet us on our terms and we don't want to relate to others on their terms, okay? Well, here's the thing, <laughs> you know, God's will for our lives 
it's is not that the rest of the world will start thinking and living like us right our process of growing and thriving as human beings is not the process of us living into our destiny as the center of the universe okay. the, our greatest calling is not to self-validation the the assurance that our way is the only right way okay god's greatest desire for us is not that the whole world will start speaking our language in fact as we're going to see god's will for us is that we could over time by growing and becoming more of who god is calling us to be would actually be able to speak other people's languages okay the most important spiritual breakthroughs that we have are born from moments when god tells us that our way is not the right way or that our way of thinking needs to be opened up to make more room for grace and that there are times when we are not necessarily wrong right but but our way is not the only way and that's what we need to understand okay so for me the very core of my christian faith is that jesus very often pushes me to say and do the opposite of what i would naturally choose to do and say god's truth is often the opposite of what i want god's truth to be for example i would rather keep everything that i have for myself but god says no you need to share <laughs> you need to give your stuff away okay i would rather be served all of the time but god says no <laughs> you need to serve mm -hmm. i would rather hold my anger and my bitterness forever god says no you need to forgive okay i would rather love only the people who are good to me and i would rather hate the people who make me angry but god says no real love extends beyond my resentment to everyone even the people who i consider my enemies right so the gospel of jesus christ is a never-ending challenge it's an indictment and it's a provocation okay and and it, it it the gospel actually tells me how often and how deeply i am wrong okay and incidentally that's kind of why i believe that the gospel is true <laughs> but when i have this inclination and this expectation that the whole world right is supposed to speak my language the gospel comes with this ever-present rebuke and challenge that says no 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 the real good the real way the real path to life is not for you to get other people to speak like you the real path is for you to be able to speak in a way that other people understand.
Okay, so today is Pentecost Sunday, and on Pentecost, we Christians are invited to acknowledge how much we would actually prefer to congregate with those who speak our language, who do things the way we do them, people who make sense of the world the way we make it. Okay, Lord, I just want to deal with these people over here because I like these people just get it right. These people over here, they are crazy <laughs> and just I don't want to deal with them. Right. And as we acknowledge that th how this is the way we are. Right. And and this is how we'd like things to be. Then we remember that God's ways are not our ways. And the gospel calls us beyond our self-serving patterns right god is going to push us to speak a new language not our language not our native tongue but as we'll see god makes it possible for us to speak it anyway okay so in our bible story there is this community of jesus people gathered together um, they're really not really sure what is coming next for them the story is told at the beginning of the book the acts of the apostles which this this book of the bible is kind of like a sacred history of the early church um, acts of the apostles is written by the same author who wrote the gospel of luke at the end of the gospel of luke jesus had died he was raised uh, many people had encounters with the risen christ and the book seems to culminate with jesus ascending into heaven now i say seems to culminate because as extraordinary of an experience as that clearly was there was a moment not long after that, when people started asking, well, okay, um, now, um, what? <laughs> what, I mean, what do you do after you watch Jesus go to heaven? Ah, you know, because while we might have assumed that's the end of the story, actually, you know, it wasn't the end of the story. The story continues, okay? So the disciples, they have this community. It's about 120 people. They were probably a close-knit group at this point. They'd been through so much together. Um, very extreme emotional experiences at the end of Jesus' life and then his resurrection. But you can imagine a moment now after the ascension of Jesus when it was a little bit of a shock that there may not have been that much going on, right? A small group of people hanging together. The rest of the world has gone or, or maybe somewhat seems to have gone back to life as usual and this is where they are when the day of pentecost arrives now pentecost um the uh, you know the name uh, the word pentecost um it is actually a, a holiday that predates this story um there was a festival going on um this takes place 50 days after the passover which is why uh, it's seven weeks after Easter Sunday, so Easter Sunday was seven weeks ago. If you think of Easter Sunday being the first day, then seven weeks, 49 days from that would have been yesterday. Today is the 50th day then, so that's where Pentecost comes from, okay? But at the time of Jesus, this festival that, that already was going on, this was a commemoration 
of the the story of God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. And it's because of this festival that we're told in, in this passage from the Acts of the Apostles that there are Jewish people from far and wide who have gathered in Jerusalem and they are there to celebrate Pentecost. These were pilgrims from all over the known world, they share a common ancestry in Abraham, but they're coming from all these different countries. They have grown up in different cultures and in different places. And what do you know, even though they're kind of like extended family in a way, nobody speaks the same language. Mm -hmm. And it is in this context that we have our story of this 120-person remnant of the ragamuffin Jesus movement. And in this story, in, in one important sense, they become the first generation of Christ's church. Now, the story itself is, is shaped by two striking sensory details. The first sensation is a sound. Um, the sound like that of a rushing wind. Um, there's a word in the Bible uh, ruach. <laughs> um, I don't say that very well. Okay, but this word ruach is it can it's it shows up all over the Bible and it can be translated as spirit, but it's also translated as breath or as wind. Um, wind, breath, uh, breath of God. Okay, th this is what the spirit of God is. And on Pentecost, we're told that the Holy Spirit's arrival is announced with a sound like that of a rushing wind, okay? The wind and the breath of God, um, well, these are concepts that evoke even more ancient stories. I mean, this story is 2,000 years old, but it, it harkens back to more ancient stories. Um, for example, in the very first verse of the Bible, uh, Genesis 1.1, we are told that the Spirit of God is like a wind blowing over the face of the primordial waters. And this is God's Spirit, the holy wind, a creative force that then calls the world into being. Later on in the second chapter of Genesis, God creates the first human being out of dirt, <laughs> right? We are dirt people. God makes a person out of dirt. And it was a lovely specimen in its, you know, initial form, but it had no life. It was just a dirt person. Um, so what did God do? Well, God breathed life. Okay, God breathed into this person. Uh, human being, and it became alive in that moment. It became a person. This is the story in Genesis chapter uh, 2, right? This is the same word. Wait, hold on. Is it Gen Genesis chapter 2? Yeah, Genesis chapter 2. Okay, but the same word, okay, ruach, right? That That is the breath of God that caused the first person to be alive, and that is also the rushing wind of Pentecost. Okay? The story of Pentecost is the story of God breathing life into a group of people such that they become the living body of Christ together. Okay? That's what Pentecost is. Now, I don't know if you've had a time when you felt like there wasn't much life in your living. Um, you, you know, the day was just the day, right? The, 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 the goings-on 
of my day in a day out. It's like stuff, headaches and to-do lists and making ends meet, right? And you may have felt that you were missing some kind of vital spirit. Um, sometimes whole communities collectively experience this. Um, but when we pray, you know, so often our prayers are focused on maybe thanking God for um, material provisions, the food, the meal, the shelter that we have. And we should thank God for those things. We should pray about that. And, and we also pray for people who are sick that we love. And we should pray for that. But we sometimes we don't even think to pray that God's spirit would breathe into us so that we can be truly alive. We don't think to do that, but we could do that. We can pray for the Spirit of God to breathe into us and help us to fully live. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the first sensory detail in this, in this story is the wind. Um, the second detail is the flame. Okay, uh, tongues of fire, it says, appear and they rest on the heads of everyone in the fellowship. Nobody is burned. Nobody is hurt. The fire is some kind of symbolic meaning, uh, medium for transformation and empowerment. God is present in the wind. God is present in the flame. And with this second detail, the story, you know, um, you know if the first detail harkens back to these images of wind and breath, right? Uh, well, the second detail of the flame also harkens back to more ancient stories as well. Uh, you may recall that in the days when Israel was in bondage, enslaved in Egypt, God appeared to Moses. And how did God appear to Moses? He, God appeared in a flame. And it was a, it was a burning bush, but recall that the flame um, did not consume. The burning bush did not burn up. Okay. And, and of course, in the story of Moses, though, uh, God is not just appearing in this flame just to like say hi. <laughs> hey, I just wanted you, you to know that um, there is a God and I'm that God. No, God appears in the flame to call Moses, to send Moses. God shows up in the flame to give Moses. Moses a job um, to like let him know what his mission and his purpose is. God says, I have heard the cry of my people in Egypt, and so I am sending you, Moses, to lead them out of bondage into a new life of freedom. The flame is God's presence, that's true, but more importantly, the flame is God's calling to the person who witnesses the flame. You follow? The flame of Pentecost is a flame of calling and mission. Okay? And, and what makes this story unique is that on this occasion, in this profound encounter with the Spirit of God, God descends like a wind and God appears like a flame. But the Spirit does not manifest in just one leader like Moses. So, for example, in this story, Simon Peter is not chosen as a spiritual figurehead and that is the purpose of this flame showing up, right? No. Um, in this story, there is a piece of flame, a tongue of fire <laughs> resting above every 
head. Every person in this story is called and commissioned just like Moses. Okay, everybody. Every, mo every head is a Moses head. Now, that the, so the Spirit has arrived. The Spirit has breathed new life into this body. What is it enabling people to do? What is the calling that the flame signifies? Like, what are people commissioned for in this moment of this Spirit breaking in, the Spirit entering the life of this community? Because, you, you know, we could imagine different versions of this story, right? We could imagine a scenario where the Spirit of God comes down and empowers people to do this, or to do this, or to do this, okay? Maybe it would give them the power to start, you know, like the power to do physical miracles, kind of like the stuff that Jesus did, healing lepers and, and making paralyzed people stand up and walk. Or maybe um, the Spirit would empower people to <laughs> judge and condemn evildoers, like it's a spirit of righteousness and moral purity so that the elect can denounce the corruption and incorrigibility of everybody around them. Um, I guess, right? We could imagine a Hollywood version of this story in which the Holy Spirit gives people violent power like Marvel superheroes so that they can go off and fight and destroy all the bad guys. We can imagine all kinds of versions of this story, but, but those are not the things that the Spirit actually does on Pentecost. According to the scripture, when the Holy Spirit comes, the church is born as people receive the power to speak. Mm -hmm. They speak about love and grace and, and God's power. They speak about God's goodness, but this isn't speech like they've ever spoken before. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, followers of Jesus are able to speak in other people's languages. Christianity is born when Christians become able to speak in a way that others can hear and understand. Mm -hmm. the, the Christians in this story, you know, they worry not about what they prefer, what they need. They worry about what their neighbors need. Okay. And, and in this moment, they grow beyond what is familiar, what is safe, what is easiest for them. They speak in a new way to people who are from far away places, people from different walks of life. Okay? People who believe that they have nothing in common. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, allowing people who would not have been able to understand to understand. Mm -hmm. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And there is some spectacle to this story. Um, the imagery of the flames, of course, the idea of people, you know, hearing words that they would never have understood before and understand it. Okay. But this story, of course, is much more relatable, I, I would say, than some of the more grandiose miracles that may come to mind from the Bible, like the parting of the Red Sea or something, right? This is just a story of a major challenge, <laughs> you know, to human relationships and human community um, being faced. It's a story of a, a great human need being 
met, right? It's, it's a story of an intractable human challenge being overcome. It's a story of something that we, we, just, uh, we just assume is impossible, right? To be able to understand somebody who just comes at life so completely different from you and they speak a different language and, you know, and then they, they've just got to be them and we got to be us, right? And there's some kind of division that exists between us that, that really cannot be overcome. It's impossible, right? And this is just a very basic story that says, actually, it's possible, okay? The people you think you can't relate to, right? Because they speak their language and you speak your language. The Holy Spirit says, you guys, you can. Okay? You can speak a new language. You can and I'll help you. The world does not have to be a land full of strangers and enemies. Okay? Our... Our mode of relating does not have to be suspicion and incomprehension and a, and a cynical, uh, you know, um, protectiveness, right? And that, that does not have to be the way of the world because the Spirit is allowing people to speak and to be understood. It is turning strangers into neighbors. It is turning strangers into family, right? It is turning strangers into friends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. For more podcasts, blog posts, or to make a financial gift, visit thetableqc.com. Have a blessed day.